Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Hey, Real Life Church, it's Pastor Jim. It's good to be with you again. We are continuing in our series called How to Be a Better Heretic. We're looking at different places in the scriptures and in church history where the church has laid out cautionary tape and said, this idea is not right. You don't want to go this way. Uh, And we do that not to fixate on the things that are wrong, but because that helps us stay on right paths to live the abundant life that God wants for us. And today I want to look at another teaching that has been around for 2,000 years. You ever have that that moment where you say to yourself, maybe instead of going to church, I'll just do faith on my own. The church is filled with hypocrites anyway. I don't need them. The pastor is not perfect, so what good is he? I'll just, I'll just practice Christianity by myself. That's a heresy that's been around 2,000 years, a heresy ancient and modern. And I want to look at that today, look at the history of it, and look at how the church has responded to it. Take a minute, let's pray together. God, I thank you for calling us to you, and I thank you that you call us in all of our hypocrisies and messes into a kingdom where you want for us purity and perfection. And I thank you that in your divine patience, you walk us through that process of growth in faith and life with you. Holy Spirit, come and purify our hearts. Open up our minds that we might hear rightly and our hearts that we might love well. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. All right, open with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to read a, a famous text and a text that I like a lot, verses 42 to 47. Listen to God's word. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. This is the early Christian church after Jesus has died and resurrected, and now they're gathering together and studying the teaching of those who knew Jesus, and they're committed to community and family together, uh, to sharing meals together, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This was the church's golden years. This was the season. You were either all in or you were not in at all. There was no no history of traditions that needed to be maintained. There was no complacent partial Christianity. There was not yet persecution that had broken out against the church, and no one was complaining that the worship wasn't the way it used to be. This was the golden age of the Christian church. But soon, fallout from persecution would come, and with it, it would bring a new set of ideas that the church would have to deal with. 
In about the year 303, Emperor Diocletian began a new persecution for the church. The persecution had broken out in about 65 AD under Emperor Nero and had come and gone for those first two or 300 years. But in 303, Emperor Diocletian began to denounce Christians because they did not worship the Roman gods. And the Christians were forced to make offerings to the Roman gods, to burn sacrifices to the Roman gods. They could keep their Jesus talk all they wanted, but they had to honor the Roman gods as well. And many resisted, but some fell. And there were pastors who turned over their scriptures to the state and renounced the faith, or at least went and offered burnt sacrifices to the Roman gods. This went on for about 10 years before Emperor Constantine put a final end to persecution in the Roman Empire. But uh, a voice arose uh, in this season, a voice of a man named Donatus. Now, I know some of you right now have already mentally checked out. You thought, we're 2,000 years into history with names of people I've never heard of before. This isn't the Bible. Why am I even studying this? Listen, if somebody knocked on your door after dark, you're lying in bed, and you hear a knock at your door, you better be curious about who that is and what they want, right? You can choose to ignore it and hope they go away, but now you've got somebody out your front door with intentions towards your house, and they may think you're not there. If somebody knocks on your door after dark, you better care about what their intentions are. Well, history is a series of knocks on the door of today. And a lot of what goes on in our world and in our culture today are shaped by events in history that can be traced. Right now, you're listening to a Protestant pastor instead of a Catholic priest because a revolution happened 400 years ago in 1517 in Europe in which people began to defy the Catholic Church. And that's why churches like this one exist today. You're right now most likely sitting in a democracy. I don't know where you are out there in the internet world, but most likely sitting in a democracy listening to this. And that's because in the 17th century, philosophers began to write down ideas about rejecting the monarchy and starting a different form of government. Right now, you and I live in a world that's rife with laws that have long histories to them. The reason you can't hire children to work in a business now is because of laws that were put in place because of the early 19th century industrial revolution and the consequences of that. History is a series of knocks on the door of today, and today is shaped by history. So when we go and study history, we're looking for those influences that are knocking on our door today. And here's one that is still knocking. A man named Donatus, a leader in the church, arose after the Diocletian persecution and said those pastors who betrayed the church, who handed over the Bible, who offered sacrifices to Roman idols, they are no longer worthy to be called pastors. They are rejected from that role. And if you were baptized by one of those pastors, you have to be rebaptized because that baptism doesn't count anymore. That pastor was not pure enough to baptize you, so your baptism is not legitimate. They called themselves the one true church, which is often a mark of cults. Most cults out there say they're the only true church. It's a mark of a cult or somebody with a, a control freak problem. And, and they said only the Donatists, only those who have remained pure are the true church. Eventually, they got into legal battles and Emperor Constantine would rule against them. And then ultimately, 
the great theologian Augustine of Hippo would write papers against the Donatists, saying that your baptism is legitimate because of the authority of Christ, not the authority of the pastor. And that's the Donatist controversy. But there are still traces of Donatists floating through our culture today. There's still fingerprints of Donatists on the church, despite the fact the church has set up cautionary tape around his teachings. The person who says, I don't need the church because they're a bunch of hypocrites. The pastor is not legitimate because he's not perfect. He's a hypocrite too. So I don't need the church. I could just do faith on my own. That person is at least a bit ideologically connected to Donatus, to an ancient heresy, to something that the church said no to. And that idea is still alive and floating around today. So let me, let me speak to those out there who say the church isn't good enough. It's a bunch of hypocrites. I don't need it. There are three questions I would encourage you to consider. Number one, and you're not a hypocrite? Hypocrisy is inherent to human nature. And the greatest heroes of faith admitted to being hypocrites. The Apostle Paul in Romans 7 says, I still do the things I don't mean to do, and I don't do the things that I know I ought to do. The Apostle Paul admitted to his own failures. In 1 John, it says, if you say you don't have sin, you're a liar. The truth is not in you, it says. So even the Bible confirms none of us are perfect. We are all hypocritical. We do not maintain those ideals that we say we want to maintain. And modern, psychologically, modern psych psychology studies verify this. When they do uh, surveys and they ask people how often they lie, most people say not very often. Well, it turns out that's a lie because other studies that have been done on the nature of conversation and communication show that most adults lie multiple times a day. All it takes is one conversation to get us started because we are an inherently hypocritical species. So the first question I would have us consider is, if you're accusing the church of being hypocritical, are you saying that you are not? But maybe you say, well, yes, I am too, but that doesn't make any difference. I'm not going to learn not to be hypocritical by hanging out with a bunch of hypocrites, so I still don't need the church. So then I'd ask you to consider a second question. What do you think the church is for? What, what is the church? What does it do? Imagine somebody thinking about going to get a gym membership. But they say to themselves, now wait a minute. The people in the gym are not in the best shape. A lot of them are out of shape. Bunch of hypocrites. Gym memberships and all claiming to go down there and get in shape. And look at them just jiggling their way on in there. They're not in shape at all. You know what? I know people outside the gym who are in better shape than the people inside the gym, so I don't need the gym. I'll just stay in shape on my own. Well, what is the gym? What's it for? There are people at the gym who are there for their first day. And there are people at the gym who have been there for 10 years, some of whom are in great shape. There are some people who go to the gym and take it very seriously. And there are some who go to the gym and just hang out a bit. The gym is there for people who want to get in shape, not people who are already in shape. And so the church. 
There are people listening to this sermon today who are interested in Christianity for the first time. And there are people listening to this sermon who've been following Jesus for decades. And some of them are the most loving and gracious people I have ever met. Some people are involved in church and take it very seriously. And some see it as just sort of a social occasion. Jesus said it would be this way. He said the church will be made up of wheat and chaff, the the good kernels of things that you need and the, the husk that gets thrown away. He said that's how it will be with the church. So I'm not sure it's fair to accuse the church of hypocrisy. We are all in process and at different stages in our process, and so are you. Third question I would ask that we consider is how do you think you will grow spiritually without the church? I remember a guy telling me one time, just tell me what books I can stay home and read about Christianity, and I'll make my own decisions. I don't need the church. I'll just I'll study it on my own. And that would be great if Christianity were just an online test you had to take when you were done doing the research. If Christianity were just a bunch of books in the library that you could read and then take the test and pass it and you were fine, then it would work that way. But Christianity is a team sport, and you only learn to play it on a team. You've heard me say this before if you're a regular around real life. You can go out in the front yard and throw a baseball up in the air and hit it with a bat and run around bases that you've put up in your front yard. You can even wear a uniform, and that will not make you good at baseball. That will only make you a spectacle to the neighbors. Christianity is the same way. It is a team sport. We learn it together. We learn patience with one another. We learn to love by loving one another. It all comes about through community and relationship. It is not a game of solitaire. So Christianity is a team sport, and I would defy you to learn it well on your own. That idea that we might be pure enough to say, I reject the church. I reject its hypocrisies. I reject the imperfections of the clergy. I'm good enough to do this without them is a strain of Donatism around which the church laid cautionary tape and said, this is wrong. And yet it still lives in the church today. The the source of that is actually a darker place than our own opinions. C.S. Lewis, the great theologian, captures well where this thread comes from, where this inclination to judge the church comes from. He writes a book called The Screwtape Letters, which are letters from a senior demon advising a junior demon how to tempt human beings. And so it's all very good theological advice written in the negative. You have to take everything and reverse it because it's advice coming from a demon's mouth. And Lewis uses that as a literary vehicle for teaching us theology. So at one point, the senior demon writes to the junior demon telling him how to tempt human beings by using the church. He says, one of our great allies at present is the church itself. Do not misunderstand me. I do not mean the church as we see her spread out through all time and space, rooted in eternity, terrible as an army with banners. That, I confess, is a spectacle which makes our boldest tempters uneasy. But fortunately, it is quite invisible to these humans. All your patient sees is the half-finished sham Gothic erection on the new building estate. He's making fun of the cheap church architecture over in the UK. 
When he goes inside, he sees the local grocer with a rather oily expression on his face bustling up to offer him one shiny little book containing a liturgy, which neither of them understands, and one shabby little book containing corrupt texts of a number of religious lyrics, songs, mostly bad, and in very small print. He's, he's making fun of the Church of England and the, the prayer books and the, the hymnals that they would give out and uh, how nobody really liked them or understood them. When he gets to his pew and looks around him, he sees just that selection of his neighbors whom, who, whom he has hitherto avoided. You want to lean pretty heavily on those neighbors. Make his mind flit to and fro between an expression like the body of Christ and the actual faces in the next pew. It matters very little, of course, what kind of people that next pew really contains. You may know one of them to be a great warrior on the enemy's side. And remember, the enemy is the devil's way of referring to God. So you may know somebody in the pew to be a great warrior on God's side. No matter, your patient, the person that he's trying to tempt, your patient, thanks to our father below, is a fool. Provided that any of those neighbors sing out of tune or have boots that squeak or double chins or odd clothes, the patient will quite easily believe that their religion must therefore be somehow ridiculous. It is not an exaggeration to say that Satan capitalizes on our distrust of the church to keep us away from it. In modern American society, which leans passive-aggressive, the complaint is not just the hardened accusation everybody's a hypocrite. We, we paint ourselves as victims. I've been burned by the church. I've been burned by the church's hypocrisy, and I need to protect myself from that so I don't need to be exposed to the church anymore. But the accusation is the same. It's an assumption that one is pure enough to stay away from the hypocrisies of the church when, in fact, the church is Christ's body and Christ's bride. Go back to that original vision in Acts chapter 2. They gathered together to worship, to study, to begin to practice the faith. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And I assure you, they were all hypocrites. Every one of them, it's in our nature. By Acts chapter 5, people are lying and stealing. By Acts chapter 6, there's an all-out fight over who gets to go first in line at the pantry. It doesn't last long. But this vision of the church, this, this promise of a people dedicated to Jesus, is not a one-time thing. It's something to which we must circle back over and over and over again. It is the pit stop at which we refuel our vehicles for the road ahead. It is the medical checkup in which we make sure all the vitals are in the right place. It is the piano tuner who swings by every season to make sure the strings are playing the right notes. This vision of the church, this Acts 2 vision, 
is one to which we must return over and over and over again. If some hypocrite has burned you and is keeping you away from this vision, you are giving that person way too much power. They have already hurt you, and now you are giving them the power to keep you from the community of love and grace and pursuit of Jesus that we all need. The church is not perfect. It is a hypocritical institution because humanity is a hypocritical species. But we are called to be one, to seek to love Jesus with all our hearts and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And we can't do that alone. If you are in a place today where you have drifted away from the church, you're just watching or listening in because you don't actually want to be around the gathering of believers. I think Jesus might want to say this to you. I am love, and I made you in my image, a creature of love. I made you to love, to experience love, and to become love. You will only become a mature follower of mine when you seek to love my followers and lost sheep who don't know me yet. Those who don't love don't know me. And you can only love when you are together in community. I have placed you on the earth for a set number of days to go and love people in my name. So don't turn away from my family, my community, my bride, my church. She is holy because she is mine. Amen. Pray with me. Jesus, give us the humility to accept community with our fellow imperfect humanity. Give us a willingness to pursue you at all costs and to risk making ourselves vulnerable that we might seek to recreate that moment where the church was on fire. Jesus, make us the church again in this season. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. Go be the church. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.